I want to have really, really high hopes for this. I do. I just don't know if I do. How is somebody going to make it happen? How do you bring together, in this polarized political society, how do you bring together people from all over the political spectrum together to discuss very important national issues uh, in a civic manner? Well, that's the goal of Civic Genius. Civic Genius is a nonpartisan organization working to overcome political polarization. Um, This is a community-based initiative that brings together Americans from across the political and ideological spectrum to learn about, discuss, and tackle critical national issues together. Usually when that happens, well, fights break out. (laughs) Kind of like the one that was on the Oscar stage last night. Let's hope it doesn't happen in Cleveland when this uh, event comes uh, to Cleveland on April 2nd. Joining us now to tell us all about this organization and what this event is and how it can work is the executive director of Civic Genius, Jillian Youngblood. Jillian, thanks so much for your time this morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. This is uh, this is an, an initiative that um, you know I think a lot of people have probably pondered and thought about and say, how can we bring people together when there is such a passion and a high level of emotion involved with so many of the issues that we face today? How can we bring them together to solve problems uh, you know, in a unified manner as opposed to yelling at one another from our various points on the, on the scale? You're doing it. You're bringing people together. Tell me how this whole idea was born. Yeah. So, you know, our, our work is founded on a belief that I think really doesn't come through in our politics or on cable news or on social media or, you know, through Hollywood. Sounds like we all saw the Oscars last night uh, where things, things really blew up. But we're founded on the belief that people across the political spectrum actually agree on a lot when they have an opportunity to talk to each other in a low-stakes setting where they really have a chance to get to know one another. Um, You know, we talk about, like, Twitter is not real life, Hollywood is not real life. I think we all kind of intuitively know that this is true. But increasingly, we don't have an opportunity to really be together in any authentic way. Um, there's, There's some pretty wild statistics out there on polarization. So people talk about, I think in the 1960s, something like four or five percent of um, of people said they would be upset if their son or daughter married someone from the opposite party. So basically no one said that in the 60s. Uh, today, it's closer to a quarter to a third of people will say that. We are self-sorting geographically into different places. So people talk about increasingly moving to other geographic areas where they think people will share their politics. And that means we're not even running into each other, you know, at church or at the grocery store or at a place where you could actually meet someone and know them as a real person instead of by a couple of hashtags that they have online. So that's what we really want to break through with this with this event. Um, it's an all-day citizen problem-solving event where, as you said, people from across the political spectrum come together and they learn about an issue, they discuss it, and then they figure out really critically how they're going to tackle it. So we're, we're not interested in people just coming together to talk, although that's a really important first step. But we think when people work together to solve a problem, that's where the real magic can happen. I don't know if you've ever done something like a community service project or Habitat for Humanity where you're like, whoa, we, you know, we painted this thing, we painted this school, we built a house. We can show what we can do when we actually work together. And that's what we want to evoke at this event. You know, um, the interesting thing is when you do a project like that with Habitat for Humanity or something else like that, 
everybody can come together from various you know political points of view and do this project because they both believe in it as long as they don't talk politics with one another. Because <laughs> if, they start, if they're standing next to somebody building or, or repairing or scraping or painting or whatever, and then that comes up and suddenly uh, the lid is blown off. This is the reality of it. It's even true in families. You know, you mentioned marrying somebody from the opposite party. Families are broken up, not just marriages, uh, mothers and, and fathers from their children, uh, siblings uh, who have different points of view, who have, have just stopped seeing one another. They don't come together at holidays anymore. Um, it, it has gotten that bad. So that's the challenge you have here. It's not just coming together for a different cause that different people believe in, but it's to specifically address the causes that they disagree about. That's got to be the real challenge you guys face at these events, right? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, I see this in my own family. I have a politically mixed family, and it gets a little rough around Thanksgiving. I won't lie. Um, but it, the thing that I know from growing up in that kind of family, and you know, I grew up in a conservative uh, place in Georgia. I worked in New York City for most of my career and in Washington, D.C. for a while. And existing in those different worlds has made me absolutely positive that all of those places are full of great people who care about the world and love this country. And they just have really different experiences that shape those worldviews. And those experiences are valid. So, you know, every time I see my dad, we spend like 20 minutes yelling at each other. We both love to talk politics. So we have to go through this phase where we kind of yell and scream. And my sister leaves the room because she's smarter than everybody. And once we get through it, we realize we agree on, I don't know, 70% of whatever we're talking about. We just had to get, we had to get to a place where we trust each other's motives and where, you know, I don't think he's stupid and he, and it's my dad, so I don't. And, you know, he doesn't think that I'm trying to ruin the country. Like you have to find, you have to sort of go through that. Sometimes it feels like to get to where the common ground is. And what we do at these events is we've created a process where people can get to that common ground without going through the screening. So we have folks in small groups for most of the day. They weigh the trade-offs of different policy approaches. Um, they talk about their shared values. So we're talking at this information about online misinformation, I'm sorry, at this event about online misinformation and free speech. So people over the course of the day will talk about what that actually means to them. Like, have they experienced some kind of real life harm because of misinformation? Um, what does that mean to them in the context of free speech? Like, what should the balance be as we try to look at those two issues? And over the course of the day, people find some level of consensus. And we've done different events on a bunch of different topics, on uh, immigration, on social security, on government reform, campaign finance reform. And certainly we don't get 100% of people saying we all agree on, you know, Congress should do this and we all agree. But we get majorities of people who would consider themselves Republicans, consider themselves Democrats, everyone in between, who can agree on a couple of things. And I would say if Congress could get together and agree as much as a roomful of average normal Americans can agree, we could probably get some things done. Boy, um, we've got a problem here. <laughs> we've got a we've got a problem here because um, of some of the things that you, that you just said. Uh, that I can I can all if I were to participate in one of these events, I just I cannot see it going well. Because, for example, you so you're saying the Cleveland event that's coming up on April second is going to be focused on online misin misinformation and free speech, correct? Yes, that's right. 
Okay, so so in other places you've had different. So was there a particular reason this one landed on that and not on a different issue? Do you normally like pick one issue in a city to have an event with Civic Genius, Jillian? That um, you know it's random in in nature, or is there a particular reason why this one is the focus right now? Yeah, this one is the focus actually for 2022. So we're going to be going to eight cities across the country this year, uh, oh, and we're going to be talking it. about this topic exclusively. And you know the reason why is that. This issue is the foundation, I think, of a lot of the toxic disagreements that we're having on every other issue. So Americans don't even agree on what the truth is. We don't agree who's an expert. We don't agree how you know or decide who's an expert. And, like, can you blame us? Look at our information ecosystem. <laughs> like, look at cable news. Look at social media. We live in totally different information worlds that are driven by algorithms that we don't know very much about. And, you know, the crazy thing is that in addition to not agreeing what's true, we don't even know what other people are seeing. So you meet someone who thinks differently than you. You have no idea what kind of information they've even been consuming. So I think if we can tackle this one... We'd have a good foundation. You know, I see. This is why I said there's a problem here because you know I, I'm going to approach this from from my point of view. Everybody knows what one side is saying because that side is not censored as misinformation, because only one side controls the flow of that information. The Silicon Valley side, the tech platform side, the side that is 99% far left. Every owner, every worker, every algorithm writer, every fact checker at at Google at Facebook, at Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. They're all very, very far left, one-sided ideologically, and they allow anything that their doctors say to go forth. It's when somebody who is a doctor or is, who, who maybe used to be considered an expert until they dared cross the left comes out with a differing set of opinions, and then they say, ah, we disagree with that. That's misinformation, and they cancel it. And they ban it. So how do I get together with a group of strangers at Civic Genius event in Cleveland on April 2nd and discuss and debate what the facts are when nobody has seen the other side because it gets canceled? And this, of course, goes right into the realm of free speech that you're, that you're talking about. I, if I can't hear Dr. Fauci followed by Dr. Malone, if I can't hear Dr. Uh, uh, Francis Collins of the NIH followed by um, uh, Dr. Uh, um, um, I'm trying to remember his name now because I'm, I'm blanking here from Stanford, who was one of the authors of the Great Barrington, Batacaria. Uh, if I can't hear him after and then say, okay, this is what your science is saying, this is what your science is saying, now let's kind of compare those. If I can't hear both sides, what's to discuss? Because Dr. Batacaria gets canceled. His information gets canceled. Somebody who posts it, somebody who po- I posted Dr. Malone, a two-minute speech that he made in front of, uh, in Washington, D.C., to a group on medical freedom, and for posting it on Facebook, my account was suspended for 30 days. So my question, Jillian, is how can you discuss both sides of an issue, particularly when it comes to free speech, when only one side is allowed to express that speech for people to consume? Yeah, I think this is the question of the century. You're, you're absolutely right. So, you know, I've been talking to people from across the political spectrum on this topic for a while, both people who, who study it. If I talk to First Amendment lawyers, I talk to a lot of regular people who just encounter this stuff in real life. And, you know, I hear from people on the left who are intensely worried about misin- what they would say is misinformation on things like COVID or on election security. And they think social media companies should take everything down. Not everyone, this is, but I do talk to a lot of people who say that. Um, and in fact, we'll say that Congress should require tech companies to do way more content moderation. 
And then I hear from people on the right who say exactly what you just said, that conservatives are being censored on social media. And many will say Congress needs to stop tech companies from doing so much content moderation. They call it, you know, moderation, but it's actually censorship. So I hear from a lot of people. So, I, I mean, that's a really, really common thing that we hear. And then the question I always ask when I'm having these conversations is, okay, but do you want the government making those decisions? And sometimes people say, yeah, there's a crisis of free speech here or there's a crisis of misinformation and the government needs to step in. But more often people will say, oh, it's actually pretty complicated. I wonder what the right balance here is. And I think you're right. Well, the, 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 right the right balance has got to be in, in any one of these sessions that you run. The right balance has got to be complete and 100 percent unfettered free speech. We have to be able to present what we believe to be right, or maybe just something that we're not even sure. I'm not sure if this is correct or not. Let me see what other people think and have it posted without being declared by some, um, you know, arbitrary Silicon Valley employee saying, and, and by the way, Mark Zuckerberg was forced to admit before a uh, congressional committee that these are opinion checkers, not fact checkers, because they are giving their opinions on what they think is misinformation and what isn't. And so they're deciding what I see and what somebody else sees. And if I ask a question, what about this? And they don't even like the question being asked because they're really concerned about what the answers might be. They, they strike it and they, they flag it and they take it down. So there is no balance, Jillian. There is no balance other than 100% unfettered free speech and let the people consume all of the information and make their own decisions. Isn't that what a free republic is supposed to do? Yes. And so my question would be, how do you make them do it? So there are a couple of big tech platforms that probably we all are using, or maybe maybe some of us have left those. And it's true, you've got a handful of tech executives and their employees making these decisions for you. So the question is, do we? how do we solve it? Do we need more competition in the space? Like, do we need more social media platforms that moderate things differently that will let all speech stay up? And can we vote with our feet and go to those platforms? Do you want Congress to say, hey, tech companies, you have to do this as it relates to speech? I know I get uncomfortable when I start thinking about the government regulating speech. So I think these are some of the issues that we want to get into. And it's really critical that we have everyone from every part of the ideological spectrum talking about this together so you don't have one side dominating what those solutions look like. Yeah. I think it's a noble uh, uh, you know, ambition. I really do. Um, I just, I, I, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't really resonate with me because i know what's already going on to get a bunch of people from quote unquote both sides to see if we can come to an agreement on here um is is just so very difficult to process when one side is already having their say every single day and it's the other side that has to fight through all of those walls to even get something to be allowed to be put up and as you pointed out can is is the answer to create more competition they tried that Parlor was destroyed by the leftist leaders in in the the, uh, the big tech world. Apple and Google deplatformed them and said, "Nope, not making Parlor available on our web store anymore." Or, um, excuse me, on our app stores anymore because conservatives are going over there and having free speech unfettered. We can't allow that. So they literally deplatformed them. And so that's what I mean. You know, if you think 
If anybody at Civic Genius thinks that the left is going to come together and, and, and compromise and in some way, shape, or form say, yeah, we do need to give these other people a voice and let their opinions be heard anymore, I just think it's delusional. I, I, I want it to work. It's noble. It's aspirational. But I think it's also impossible because they have made it their mission to silence those with whom they disagree. And and there's nothing that anybody on the right can do about it. That's what I have found. Uh, and 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 you know, God love you if you prove me wrong and you guys get together and have a wonderful event <laughs> and people come out of it and saying we're united uh, and we can get some things done together here. If you can do that, I mean, it would be a miracle of God. So God will have definitely definitely blessed it. <laughs> so, and I, I, you know, I think I think we have no choice. Like, what what else are we going to do at this point? Look at how split this country is. Where are we headed if we can't find some way to talk to each other, agree that we're going to listen, have some, you know, I always say we have three ground rules at these events. You participate with respect and curiosity. I don't know when the last time is I've been to a civic event that felt that way. Look for common ground with others who think differently than you. And don't be a jerk. Politics makes us jerks. And I understand all the forces that you're talking about. And I think there's a difference between you know, people who are in charge, who are running the show, and then people like us who don't go through their lives feeling like we want to get in a fight every time we walk out of the door. No, um, no, no, and, and, and I, we don't want that. We really don't. I mean, I mean, but I mean, I mean, just, just one last thought. Just look at what we're dealing with here. The the Twitter executives decided that Donald Trump's words at his speech before the January 6th incident at the Capitol were so so terrible, so so uh, insightful of violence that he had to have his Twitter account revoked, right? They revoked his Twitter account for, for in their eyes, inciting violence. The same platform, Jillian, allows Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, who has invaded a foreign country and killed thousands and thousands of innocent people, he still has an account on Twitter. Now, you tell me how we come to some... Yeah, it's true. Look it up. Look up President of Russia's account on Twitter. Twitter's... uh, Excuse me. uh, Russia's bloodthirsty killing you know of the innocent uh, premier uh, Vladimir Putin has an account Donald Trump does not. You tell me how we come come together in a meeting and find a way to resolve that. Uh, I think if you said that... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I think if you said that to a lot of people on the left, they would find it shocking and problematic, to be honest. Um, I think there's so little transparency in how tech companies make these decisions. Like, we don't know what the algorithms do. There's not public. They're not public. There's a bill in Congress that would make them public so we could at least see, yeah. you know, how our news feeds are being manipulated. Um, but you're right. We have no idea what's behind the curtain. And I think that people across the political spectrum think that's the problem. Well, I think you think that the, the left would be shocked if they learned that. I think the left would look at me and say, cancel him. How dare you let him tell us that? We shouldn't know that, and nobody should know that that hypocrisy exists. Twitter is wonderful. All praise Silicon Valley. That's what I think they would say. Jillian Youngblood, Executive Director of Civic Genius. How can anybody who wants to do what you're doing be a part of this? Real quick. Yeah, is, is it open to the public? Do you have to register, or how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, open to the public. So go to OurCivicGenius.org. Um, and under events, you'll see the Cleveland event on April 2nd. Um, register as soon as you can. I want to make sure we save space um, for folks listening to the show who want to come. And we'd love to have you. I've been, I will just say, I've been to 90 billion different civic events, and I know this stuff can get a little dry. This one will be genuinely fun. It's not a seminar. It's a community event. 
You can come where you are, have some great food, have some thought-provoking conversations, um, and come up with uh, some ideas for solving this tough issue. Uh, so yeah, you can register at OurCivicGenius.org. Jillian, I've never met you, but I can tell you that you're a wonderful person, and you're a better person than I am, and the reason why is you're willing to try. You're, you're seeing a need for something and saying, we're going to give it a shot because what else we can do, and I know I'm being very cynical with this, so that makes you uh, you know, a much more admirable person than I am, and I really wish you the very best of luck at this event and at all the events you have around the country. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.